Amen. Wonderful songs and some pretty good singers. Amen. Thank the Lord. And thank you, musicians, as well. Amen. We got some versatile musicians. Amen. We got a good drummer. We kind of wild. We have to keep him in a cage, but uh, he's pretty good anyway. Amen. Turn your Bibles today to Joel chapter 3 and verse 14. Joel chapter 3 and verse 14. Amen. Aren't you grateful to the Lord for His love and His mercy? A lot of things going on in our world. I dare say there's a lot of things going on in your life, your family, your friends. But I want you to remember that God is faithful. And I also want you to remember, just as we're getting ready to go into the Scripture today, I want you to remember this. Jesus said, when you see all of these things coming on the earth, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And for those that are washed in the blood of Jesus, walking in relationship with Him, I'm going to tell you, we're going to get to go home. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. How many's glad at the prospect of going home to be with Jesus? Amen. Amen. All right, Joel chapter 3 and verse 14. We only have one scripture today. I'm asking you to stand one more time as we read the scripture today. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the scripture. Feel free to use any electronic devices you might have. We do have uh, Bibles on the back of your pews. And, uh, of course, we've got it up here. And uh, we, we just want you to have every opportunity to get into the Word and the Word to get into you. Joel 3.14, read it, let's read it aloud together, shall we? Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Father, bless the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, and the hearing of your word today. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. And amen. Would you give the Lord one more hand of praise for his word today? Amen. The Lord had commanded Moses, Moses who was not allowed to go into the promised land, but he had commanded him to instruct the people what should happen when they go into the promised land. The Lord told them that when they made their interest into the promised land, they would go through a valley between two mountains, twin mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And the Lord, through Moses, instructed the people to take the elders of the tribes of Israel, of those 12 tribes, and take the elders of those 12 tribes and divide them up half upon Mount Gerizim, half upon Mount Ebal. And as the people stood in the valley, and that valley, and this has been tested throughout the years of the great uh, uh, amphitheater that, that happens in that valley. It's a natural amphitheater that a person just speaking in a regular voice, it'll be uh, multiplied and, and magnified in the hearing of the people. The Lord told him to put those elders there and on Mount Gerizim speak the blessings 
that would befall those people if they would follow the Lord, if they would obey his word. And then on Mount Ebal, he had those people recite in the hearing of God's people, had those elders recite the cursings that would come upon the people in the valley if they did not obey the word of the Lord. And so at Mount Ebal, the cursings, here's what they were, Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, 28, starting in verse 15 and going through verse 21. I'm going to read these real quickly, but just to give you a sense. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country, and cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, and cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land you are going to possess. Well, that's a dire warning. It's a stern and somber and solemn warning. But thankfully, that's not all to the story. Thankfully, there was not only Mount Ebal, but there was Mount Gerizim. There was the place of blessing. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 8. Uh, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obeyed the voice of the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country and blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And the Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face and they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways and the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all that you, which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. It's not just a warning. It's also the promise of a reward if, if we obey the Lord. It's a choice. It's a decision that we can make to either or obey or disobey the Lord. It's like that great Robert Frost poem where he said that uh, in the woods one day he came upon those, those, uh, that fork in the road, those two ways to go, how one was well-traveled and one was overgrown, and he chose the, low, the road less traveled, and he said that made all the difference. There comes a time in everyone's life where they have to make a decision of which way to go. There's always a crossroads, a fork in the road. I think it was Yogi Berra that said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> but you don't have that choice. In fact, those that try to take two roads are double-minded, unstable in all of their ways. And I think a lot of people are conflicted because they're trying to travel two roads at the same time. 
They want enough of Jesus to make it to heaven, but they want enough of the world so that they can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But the problem is, is that you can only serve one master and you can only walk one road. You either obey him or disobey him. And that decision makes all the difference. In fact, Moses, after instructing the people of what to do when they enter into the promised land, he, in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, gave his last command to them. He said, based on this, in verse 19 of chapter 30, he said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Now, I know that uh, in starting off the way we did and talking about the cursings, I know this sounds like a negative. It sounds like a bad thing. And I don't know what it is about us. Maybe it's just me. But I, I tend to get on the negative sometimes. I think it's the human condition that we tend to get on the negative. How many messages have you heard about the fact that Adam and Eve ate of the one tree that they could not eat of? The knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, how many messages have you heard on how many trees they could have eaten of? Before he said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said you can eat of every tree in the garden except one. And that's the only one they could think about, wasn't it? And people read this and they say, oh, oh, oh the judgment that comes with choosing to disobey God. And that's a, that's a stern warning. But this scripture is not just a warning. This scripture is also a scripture of rescue. He's saying that in this fallen world, this world where there's sickness and where there's death and there's pain and there's grief and there's mourning and there's tears, that in this world we can make a choice that will result not only in eternal life, but abundant life. And it doesn't mean that it's a life without any problems, but it does mean that it's a victorious life that doesn't suffer under the circumstances, but thrives in spite of the circumstances. That God is giving them a choice. There's a path before you. There's a decision to be made. Yes, there's cursing, but there's also blessing. Yes, there's death, but there's also life. And what Jesus came was to give us a choice. And he said, choose life and you'll live. Yes. Nothing can be simpler. There's nothing complicated about that. It's the most simple thing in all the world. There's a rescue, a promise of rescue. Now, I think that we have not only in those that don't know the Lord, but even among Christians, I think we have an unrealistic and very naive view of sin and Satan. I think we live in a day where, where sin has, has lost uh, its, uh, its repulsion for us. We no longer take sin serious. We think about sin like slipping into Granny's kitchen and getting into her cookie jar. Stealing a little cookie from Granny. That, well, we really shouldn't do it, but it's not all that bad. And if Granny catches us, 
we'll just kind of snicker at Granny getting mad because we stole her cookie. But can I tell you that in Satan's cookie jar, the cookies are laced with arsenic. That sin, big sins, little sins, and every sin in between has consequences, deadly consequences. I think sometimes that we, we, uh, we think of, of Satan kind of as that lovable rogue that you see sometime in movies. Now, some of you will remember uh, for, for probably 50 years the, 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 uh, the best uh, uh, selling movie for about 50 years uh, was Gone with the Wind. And Gone with the Wind, there was that lovable rogue, Rhett Butler. You know, he wasn't everything he ought to be. He wasn't a gentleman. He was kind of a rogue, but just you loved him, and he wasn't all that bad. And then in my generation, there was a movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller was that way. Ferris Bueller, you know, he, he conned his parents. He lied to his teachers, but everybody loved him. And old Ferris, you know, that guy, that joker, you know, everybody wanted to be best friends with Ferris Bueller. And then my kids uh, come up with a movie, uh, the, Pirates, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, you had Captain Jack Sparrow. He was a pirate, but he was a good pirate. You know, he, he was a lovable rogue. He wasn't, he wasn't a gentleman. He wasn't all that he ought to be, but you know, he's a good old guy. And I think there are people that think of Satan that way. You know, kind of the mindset that says, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's all right to go off and commit adultery for a weekend. It's all right to go and get drunk for a weekend. It's all right to go and gamble away your mortgage for a week, weekend. You know, everybody needs to let that off a little steam. I think that we have adapted from the world a view of sin as Satan as it's not all that bad. In fact, across pulpits in America today, you'll hear people stand up and talk about how, oh, everybody's a sinner you know, it's like that old Dr. Pepper commercial. I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? I know preachers that preach that way. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, she's a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? But I'm gonna tell you, if you wanna live, you've gotta reject sin and turn to Jesus that you might live. There are consequences to our actions. And I don't understand why people that are our Christian people, believers, cannot connect the dots between their behavior and the behavior of their families and the outcome that they're getting. While you can't connect the dots that what I do or don't do, what I decide or choose not to decide affects what's gonna happen in my life and the life of my children and in my family. That when you have a flippant, careless, cavalier attitude about spiritual things, then that's what you're going to get. It's not, the choice is not, oh, well, I, I think, you know, I don't have anything better to do. I may go to church today, do God a favor, you know. No, the choice is whether or not you're going to do that that produces life or whether you're going to go your own way and do that that produces death. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm telling you, you can have better than what you've got. I'm telling you that life can be better than the way it is. 
I'm telling that you can know the peace and the joy and the love and the peace and the power of God in your life. You have a choice. You are not under the circumstances of life. You're not under Satan's hobnail boot. God has given you liberty and if you choose life, you can obey him and live. That's good news. That's good news. You know, Satan is not that best friend that says, come on, let's do a little mischief. Satan is the child molester who's homicidal, who says to the little children with the promise of candy and carnival rides, come on, let's go for a ride. And that lure, that little shiny thing that he puts out there to tempt us, it might look good, it may look exciting, it may be tantalizing, it may satisfy our pleasures for a while, but I'm going to tell you, it is all a lie. Behind it is death. We could choose life. Jesus said, John 10, 10, he said, the thief has come but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not legalistic with this. I, I think that, that we can watch TV shows and movies that are entertaining. I, I think that we can listen to music that's entertaining. I, I'm not trying to be harsh and legalistic, but I'm going to tell you, if we watch things that in the first 15 minutes there's been 150 murders, Did that come from the Lord? Let me ask you this, not to get too political, but if we vote for people that are in favor of putting to death unborn children, did that come from the Lord? If it steals, if it kills, if it destroys, it didn't come from the Lord. I'm not trying to get anybody to live up under my convictions, but I, I'm going to tell you, it, it concerns me when Christians can watch. And, and I, 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 I'm going to say it because I, I hoped it would go without saying, but it doesn't. If you're watching movies that have nudity in them, quit it. Can I just say that to you? Just stop it. You wonder, well, I don't understand why I'm struggling with pornography. Can I use a Greek word there? Duh. Right? If you're watching things and listening to things that the name of God is blasphemed and the most despicable of language is used, can I, can I tell you, I know Christians that will sit and watch things that have 150 F words in them. Can I tell you, I've known of preachers that stand behind the sacred desk and use the F word from the pulpit thinking that they're being hip, relevant. It's a descent into madness. If you can listen to the name of our God being blasphemed and it doesn't grieve your spirit, you probably need to do some self-aware check. You probably need to do a checkup. 
If you're watching things that glorify gore. Again, I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm not, please don't, if you're a big fan of some of these shows, don't, don't see me after church. Just, you know, I'm just throwing this out for your, uh, your, your uh, consideration. Thank you, Daddy. But I'm going to tell you, how many zombies do you have to see killed before you say this doesn't speak of life? If we fill our minds with the things that are dark, deadly, and then we don't live in victory, do we see some correlation? The enemy, the thief has come to steal. The thief has come to kill. The thief has come to destroy. But here's the good news. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The good news is, is that there's life. There used to be an old song. I enjoyed these old songs that we sang today. I like the new ones too, but I like those old songs. But there used to be an old song that said, I don't want to get adjusted to this world, to this world. I've got a home that's so much better. I'm going to go there sooner or later. I don't want to get adjusted to this world. And I can tell you that we can surround ourselves with the things of the world and in living in this world, I know that you've got some smart aleck out there of say, well, you Christians are just so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That is not our problem. The problem is we're so earthly minded we are no longer any heavenly good and we need to make a decision to come to the one who has life and draw from the waters of life and drink the waters of life freely and live and live not only eternally, but live abundantly in the victory and the joy and the peace and the love that he brings. That's available. And I am not, I'm not trying to get us to go back to some uh, utopian vision of the past that we had. But I will tell you this, there was a time when God's people lived in victory. I'm not glorifying the past I'm telling you that the same river of life, the same fountain that our grandparents and parents drink from, it's still available and we can come to him and have life. They're set before you and I, blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. Choose life. That you might live. You know, we all face a valley of decision. Our life basically takes place in a valley between two mountains. There is the mountain of our birth. In that valley in between the mountain of our birth and the mountain of our death, there's some hills and dales. But the major mountain peaks in our life, the bookends of our life, are our birth and our death. And there's the birth with all of the promise and potential. But even when we're born, the moment we draw our first breath, because of the of the being born into fallen bodies, there's already death working in our bodies. Our, our cells start dying the moment that we're born. And all of our life is spent marching across that valley 
to that mountain looming out there. The mountain of our, the mountain of our death. the mountain of death with its fear and its finality. And in between the mountain of our birth, that, that beautiful baby, we've got a couple of babies just been born in our congregation. We're growing the kingdom for Jesus, ain't we? That beautiful baby, all of the potential. What do you think they'll accomplish? What do you think they'll be? What do you think they'll do? What do you think their life will be? Isn't it beautiful to have that life stretching out before you? But the truth of the matter is, some of us are a lot nearer that final mountain than we are that initial mountain. In fact, we may be nearer than what we constantly believe. There's a decision has to be made in that valley of decision. In that valley between the mountain of our birth and the mountain of our death. Now maybe you say, well, I don't want to follow the devil's way, but I really don't want to follow God's way either. I'll just make my own way. I'll do it my way. I'll just, I'll just pioneer my own trail. I'll just choose my own way. Proverbs 14 and 12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. When you choose, you may choose not to decide. You may decide not to decide, and in that you've made your decision. Now our text scripture when Job in his, uh, Joel in his prophecy in verse 14 of chapter 3 says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The word multitudes really has to do with the, the mass of the sound that is coming from this teeming, boiling cauldron of humanity. How the, the murmuring and the cries of that mass of humanity. I was talking uh, just the other day with, with Chris. Chris used to raise quail. And I was telling him my experience of going in somebody raising quail, how that, and he confirmed it to me, how those those small uh, little quail, they, you put a heat lamp and they are so desperate to get under that heat lamp that they don't look like individual little chicks. The whole thing looks just like a mass that's just churning as they're just churning to get in the heat of that lamp. And Chris told me, yeah, if, when it gets cold, if there's not enough heat, some of them will actually smother Others, because they're so desperate in that movement to get heat that they'll actually smother some of those. And that's the kind of picture that you see in this valley of decision that Joel's talking about. There's just this, this boiling, churning mass of humanity. 
But this valley of decision that Joel's talking about is not a valley where the crowd is making a decision. It is a mass of humanity that had already made their decision. This decision is not the decision of the individual to choose life. This decision that Joel's talking about in the valley of decision means that they are awaiting from the judge's bench the decision. They're awaiting the sentence. They're awaiting the judge's order. They're awaiting the judgment. Even today we call it that, don't we? We're waiting for the judge's decision. We're waiting for the jury's decision. In fact, the word decision, both in this original Hebrew word and in our English word, the word decision actually comes from a meaning of something that pierces or cuts. That's the reason whenever someone has surgery and they have a cut in their flesh, that's called an incision. Whenever somebody has a tumor removed and there's a cut to remove that tumor, that's called excision. You cut something out. And so decision literally means something that has been cut off. And so when it says the valley of decision, God is looking down at at the people that were the enemies of God and he says it's a valley where those people are going to be cut off. The day of the Lord, the day of the judgment of the Lord is going to be extracted on these people. In fact, if you go back a couple of verses, a verse or two in Joel, you'll find out that he's talking about that the wickedness of humanity is like a ripe harvest in the fields waiting for the sickle to come and cut it down. In fact, he said that the vats are full of the wine of their judgment. In other words, they had turned away and turned away and turned away and resisted the hand of God and resisted the call of God and resisted the heart of God that now their wickedness is full and it's judgment day. Good news is a couple of verses after this, it talks about the state of the people of God, those that did obey his voice, those that are God's chosen, those that are God's own, those that have served him. And he said for them, their future is something totally different. In their future, the hills are going to drop with wine. The milk and the honey is going to flow. It's going to be a future of peace and joy. Now look, today you are in a circumstance and a situation where you can make a decision. But one of these days, you're going to be in a valley of decision where a decision is going to be made for you. A decision is going to be made about you. This valley that you're in right now is a valley where you get to decide, but the valley you're going to be called into one day is a valley of judgment where you're not going to be able to decide. Remember, decision means to cut something off, and that means if we're disobeying God, we need to cut it out don't we? 
In fact, when we talk about deciding to do something, it, it means that we are actually making a, a sharp break with what we're not going to do in order to grab on to what we are going to do. Can I tell you that there are Christians that are making the Christian life much more difficult than it has to be and life much more harder than it has to be because they're waking up every morning and deciding, am I going to follow Jesus today? Joshua, at the end of his life, in chapter 25 of Joshua, 24 of Joshua, verse 15, Joshua called the people back to that same valley between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. He called them back to that same place and he stood there and he said this, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. If you want to serve the gods that your father served on the other side of the river, that's up to you. But he said, but as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Now what I'm about to tell you is not a boast because I'm not looking to my own goodness, my own ability, my own power. I'm not boasting when I say this. But I am telling you with deep conviction, I've already made my decision. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't have to wake up every moment, every morning and think, now am I going to serve the Lord today? I don't have to face every circumstance and say, now am I going to choose to obey the Lord or choose to obey Him? The die has been cast. The decision has been made. If you'll just go ahead and decide that you're going to follow Jesus and close the book and move on, you're going to save yourself a lot of doubt and headache and heartache and you won't have to make a decision every time something comes your way. The decision's already been made. I will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. In the middle 1800s, uh, there was a man that lived in Assam, India. His name was Noxin. Noxin and his family had heard the gospel. And um, they had gotten saved. And when he went back to his home village, the village chieftain, there's even some evidence that they were headhunters. But the village, village chieftain said to him, you're going to have to reject Christ. And if you don't reject Christ, we're going to kill your children. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And they killed his children and they threatened his wife. And they said, if you don't deny Jesus, we're going to take the life of your wife. And he said, though none go with me, still I will follow. And they took the, wife of, the life of his wife and then they threatened his life. And he died with these words on his lip, the cross before me, the world behind me. 
And from that, an Indian missionary took his words and wrote, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if that's your decision, I want you to lift your hands and sing this with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go say yes to Jesus right now. Lift your hand. Say, that's me. Thank God. Thank God. Now, everybody look at me. How many of you, even though you made your decision, that's the way you, you I, every once in a while I do a self-examination and here's the way I judge myself. 
in every circumstance of life is my first consideration how does it affect my relationship with the Lord and by the grace of God I can tell you that's the first consideration in everything in life but how many of you even though that's true can say you know what I can stand to draw a little closer can you raise your hand with your pastor if that's you can I tell you it's my opinion that as we're following the shepherd, it's not the sheep that are in his shadow that get eaten. It's the ones that are way back there in the back. Right? I want to draw a little closer to him, don't you? If you've decided to follow Jesus, lift your hand. Now, if you raised your hand, Make it known by coming to this altar and let's sing in this together and pray.